The only judge I need in my life is Tam. Feel free to judge this book by its cover. <laughs> oh my god, I'm like so inspired by our judgment themed taglines. I mean, first and foremost, kadoos to us. It's Judgment Day, baby. <laughs> it is Judgment Day. With a couple examples specific to a form of judgment, which we will get to. But in the meantime, you guys, it's Andy's Girls. It's episode I Have No Idea. And I am so excited to welcome back a return guest to the People's People's Couch, Zoom, Kiki, etc. You know him as a writer and housewives anthropologist whose credits include Vogue, GQ, Rolling Stone and more. Welcome back to Andy's Girls, Louis Staples. Louis, how are we? I feel like Bethany Frankel returning to New York in season seven. <laughs> well, listen, speaking of Bethany Frankel, word on the street and not just the street, also, you know, the interwebs and your friends at Rolling Stone just dropped a little expose or announcement or breaking news, whatever you want to call it, literally minutes before we started recording. That is the second episode in a row where there has been some sort of breaking news immediately before we press record. So I'm just going to give a little bit of a summary and then I'd love to get your thoughts. Um, Rolling Stone announced today, we're recording this Friday morning, that reality TV stars accuse NBC and Bravo of exploitation. The day of reckoning has arrived. A legal letter was sent to the networks accusing them of manipulative tactics, covering up instances of sexual abuse and refusing to let cast members leave shows. The two lawyers, um, you know, taking the helm of this are Mark Garagos and Brian Friedman, who are also representing Bethany Frankel, who obviously has put out a call in the last several weeks to unionize reality TV. And just to read directly from the piece in the letter, which was sent to NBC and Bravo and E!, uh, the letter includes, as you know, NBC has a pattern and practice of grotesque and depraved mistreatment of the reality TV stars and crew members on whose account it coffers, its coffers swell. These individuals have been mentally, physically, and financially victimized by NBC and threatened with ruin should they decide to speak out about their mistreatment. As a result, the sordid and dark underbelly of NBC's widely consumed reality TV universe, which as I said, Said they are um, naming Bravo and E as a part of that, has remained under wraps for far too long. Please be advised that the day of reckoning has arrived. And to wrap, the letter doesn't directly identify any of the clients represented in potential litigation. But the lawyers have outlined six bullet pointed allegations on behalf of their clients, which include attempt to manufacture instability through food and sleep deprivation and copious alcohol, denying cast members mental health treatment, exploiting minors by not paying them to appear on TV shows, 
distributing porn, hiding sexual violence from the public, and binding cast members to their contracts, even in the worst circumstances. And the article also notes, I'm going to paraphrase here, um, that NBC, I I believe, couldn't be reached for comment. Um, So Louis Staples, as a writer, as a reporter, what's your reaction to this? Well, the wording is like incredibly strong. Um, You just read it out now. Um, But it strikes me as the type of lawsuit that's very much designed to, you know, get as much attention as possible. I mean, Bethany, if she's involved in this, has played this game long enough. So I suppose the first thing about it is really interesting to me is that this is really like her burning all bridges, like with Bravo and with NBC you know, like it's like I feel like there's no coming back from from those types of things that she's saying, which is interesting in the foremost. Um, I sort of feel like with this whole unionization thing that she's been doing, it's kind of I, I don't mean this to sound mean, but it's kind of hard to tell with her. Like sometimes what's real and what's just like a kind of like a five minute branding thing. Um, you know, she's very much like she pivots from one thing to the next. She's you know got a podcast and she's doing beauty things on TikTok and she's got kind of like a thing of the moment often. Um, And so it's hard to tell like how long, you know, this goes for, but to be honest with you, regardless of my feelings on Bethany, you know, I'm a huge fan of hers as a reality star. Um, But I think that it's definitely the time has come for some sort of um, accountability for how reality stars are treated. Um, It's a tough one because as a genre, I'm not sure how you ever really get past that inherent tension between, you know, like, the fact that it is quite exploitative, the dynamic. Um, but, you know, I'm sure you agree. I've been hearing so much about actors over the last few weeks and, like, sort of sharing how much they were paid for various things and, like, saying they had to be, like, working for Domino's and stuff like that while they were on, like, a really hit show, which is just, like, crazy to me. Um, and then you've got to assume that the situation for reality stars is probably much worse, like, the majority of reality stars. Um, so I definitely feel like it's kind of overdue to start having that conversation I mean I'm not sure the American legal system like baffles me I'm not really sure like what (laughs) happens after this like I don't know what like which type of lawsuit is and how serious it is and you know like these things are extremely like confusing to someone outside of there but I don't know I just I think that it's good that we're having a conversation about it what do you think um first off so many great points um I happen to Um, have spoken to several housewives and some other reality TV folk this past weekend at the Jill Zarin Luxury Lunch for um, a piece I wrote for the Daily Beast, which I'll link in the show notes to this episode. But I asked several of the housewives outright, do you support Bethany's call to unionize and would you potentially join? And there was an array of responses. Jill didn't want to discuss potential union unionization, although she was happy to discuss some other things dealing with the network, which hopefully you guys will get a chance to read um, potentially while you're listening to this episode. And, you know, Cynthia Bailey was in full support. Um, Survivor winner Wendell Holland, whose name I think I just fucked up, was in full support. Um, Margaret Josephs really, truly did not want to discuss anything having to do with this. Neither did Jen Fessler, although Marge was um, was certainly in support of the WGA and actor strikes, as she mentioned in the piece. Um, I think people are nervous about speaking out. I think 
it is a difficult ask, honestly, to pose to people who are currently employed and are current housewives or friends of. I mean, it's like, how do you talk about this without upsetting the network, which surely was aware the second this announcement came out by Bethany in the last couple of weeks that this was going to be something they wanted to maintain some element of control of. Um, but fuck, I mean, the, the, the Rolling Stone piece, which I'm also going to link in show notes, is interesting because it mentions the lawyers. Um, uh, it all. Say what? Mention it all. I mean, for real mention it all. It uh, includes the fact that the lawyers want to ensure that no potential evidence will be tampered with, including they mentioned blackberries, which I thought to myself, how far fucking back are we going with this shit? Like, not to say we shouldn't, but like, my God, I hope some of this is coming from the iPhone generation. So you know what my theory is on this? Like, so... I don't know if you know, but Kim Kardashian has this, like, Blackberry obsession, right? Yes! She buys old Blackberries, like, off eBay and stuff. And I think a few years ago, she was like, this is my last Blackberry. So I think she might have, like, retired that now. Um, but I'm like, there must be somebody. I feel like this must be, like, uh, I, can't, I don't know what the word is, but, like, a, you know, a signifier to who that person is. I feel like there must be someone in, like, the top tiers of Bravo or, like, someone who is known for still using a BlackBerry, like who's like someone that that they're making an allusion to that they can't obviously name. But I feel like that's like a loaded detail. It's just so random. And I just feel like it couldn't be there by accident. Like it just has to be something to do with the BlackBerry, right? I think you are totally right. And also, you know, E is mentioned in this. It's NBC as the conglomerate, but also obviously E and Bravo are at the forefront. And I mean, this is total conjecture. I have, I'm truly talking out of my ass. We have no idea who was named. The lawyers mentioned they've spoken to 50 plus reality TV stars at this point. I have no idea which networks are represented in those discussions and conversations. But the Kardashians keeping up was obviously a huge franchise for E! until they ended the show and then essentially duplicated it for Hulu, but with better camera work. Um, So I don't, it's entirely possible that that's a part of this, but I would assume because in an earlier variety piece, you know, the lawyers mentioned, I forget if it uh, was Mark or Brian or both of them, this is war, which is something Bethany also mentioned on her social media. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if in many ways Bravo is at the heart of this since in many ways Bethany represents Bravo. I think they are going to be all hands on deck, but it is interesting that the first organization, let's say media company that they went after is the one Bethany was a part of and a face of for so many years. The thing is, I think that we've also got to remember is that like reality stars all have a very different experience. I think that depending on what show they're on, like I this is so weird to say, but I have some reality stars that I like worry about more than others. Like the the real the people on below deck, I'm literally like, please just like save that money because like mm. it's probably never gonna come around again. And like 
but you've obviously got the housewives, you know, people like Teresa who've been on the show for like so long, who are making loads of money. I think it's an interesting, there's an interesting like philosophical discussion here about like the quote unquote reality star, like how eternal is that? Like, do you have to be working as a reality star now to be a reality star? Or is it like, have you ever appeared on reality? Like, you know, we see people appearing on other reality shows, like celebrity shows, and it's like reality star, like someone like Brandy Glanville. She's almost just like the eternal reality star now. That's like, she just goes to show to show to show. But someone who's working as a reality star, is that like what we class as a reality star? Because what you just told me about the housewives and the people, you know, a lot of the people that want to comment are people that aren't really on reality TV currently, are they? So it's there's that interesting power dynamic between the people that are, who arguably, you know, their voices are the ones that are the most important here. Um, but then they're the ones that are least likely to, you know, I guess call out that sort of system because let's be honest, it's kind of like at the moment working for them. It's, it's really a story that as, as old as time, I suppose. But um, I definitely feel like there's probably just a deeper story here with what's happening with Bethany. Like, I just feel like, why now? Like, obviously we've got the act the screenwriters the actors on strike at the moment so is that why is it just that it's timely like what's what's the driver of it now because maybe it's that she's not been on a reality show for so long that now she can look at it with more distance um is it the fact that she's not on the roni girls trip to scary island and that she's you know drumming up some stuff i mean it it couldn't have been escaped that she did the Jill Zarin Rewives episode on the same day as the new rebooted um, Roni. So is it something to do with that, that franchise moving on? And I don't know, some other thing to do with her. Like it feels very personal between her and Bravo to me. Maybe it's not, you know, I can't speak for Bethany. I'm sure she would talk about it in her own terms, but it feels like there's some like score to settle like there. Well, the idea of, of this, essentially fight and challenge being personal, I think is at the heart of the conundrum facing the reality TV universe, because it really truly couldn't be more personal. And while we talk about the performative nature of Housewives, of other shows that we watch on Bravo and of shows outside of the Bravo specific universe, certainly there is that form of performance that is at the heart of some of these moments of drama but also it is following people whose names on the show are the same as their names in their personal life. They, We can sometimes challenge what they're saying or write it off by saying they're playing a part. And maybe some of that performance is like, and I have tons of money and I'm living this great life and I have no problems in anything else. And the longer you stay on reality TV or on Housewives, the the sooner we get to understand how false some of that reality is but also it's like a little bit of a shadow dance here because you know many of these people perform wealth and 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 rich and what they come out of housewives with accepting bethany and a few others is like celebrity and fame which maybe you can monetize but maybe not i mean that's not paying the bills your stories will remain will have an awareness of who you are but name recognition isn't going to cover your mortgage and while there is some other explosive allegations in this letter and in this 
you know, expose and reveal, it does get to the heart of what the WGA and SAG-AFTRA are fighting for, which is to ensure that they are compensated for their work. It's something that Bethany discussed in a previous interview after her announcement first came out that she was inspired by the ongoing strikes, that that was at the heart of this. And I think she saw a group of people who was not being represented and in Bethany form was like, I am going to be the one to be the face of this and to attempt to drive attention. But don't you think that's such an interesting thing, like the work? And if you flash back to like maybe 10, 15 years ago, mentioned Kim Kardashian again, but I really feel like she was one of the last people to be ever described as, quote, famous for being famous when she first, well, the Kardashians as a whole, when they first became famous from reality television. And now that's not only a phrase that you never hear attributed to Kim Kardashian anymore because she's just like, A, an A-list celebrity, B, you know, she's just such a part of hashtag the culture. that's just never something people say about her but more widely I really feel like that's such an old time phrase I don't ever hear that said about any reality star anymore and I think that that is the fundamental shift is that it is now considered work um not only that but you know being a content creator or an influencer as a lot of these reality stars are as well um that is I'd say more widely considered to be work Whereas I think, you know, 10 years ago, it probably wouldn't have, you know, if this strike was all, well, there was a strike, the last strike, (laughs) and when the last strike was happening, I mean, there wasn't any even whisper, there was plenty of reality TV back then, but there wasn't even a whisper of reality stars being brought in, in that conversation. So now that they are, I think that is a real kind of a shift, don't you think? Yeah, and I think it's an important conversation to have, especially when we're talking about Housewives and we're talking about the psychology behind this franchise and universe and what is the cost of that. Like, we're examining the ways that these women are potentially affected by their time on the show, let alone what we're watching as new episodes come out. And it's like, okay, there's another side to this. And If, you know, the purpose of AG or maybe the result of AG is to humanize people who are often discussed as caricatures, I think this is another element of it, albeit incredibly complicated. And um, to add on to what you just said about, you know, the insult that was used against Kim and is still used, I see it quite often on social, the idea that, like, you're nothing, you don't mean anything because... I've decided that you don't have talent. I think of it as the difference between talent and success. It's like, okay, well, you want to say because this person is on TV and they are themselves that you feel that that is not a talent. Let's look at what the numbers, um, let's look at how the numbers reflect the value of the show that they're on or of their role on a specific franchise. That becomes more complicated, I think, to the powers that be. Because many of these shows are extraordinarily popular and they are popular because of the personalities and lives that we're viewing and and picking apart each week. What's super interesting about reality TV, I think also in regards to what you've just said, is that like this idea of popularity and the... I mean, Kim Kardashian, again, is a really good example of the Kardashians at large, is people who are famous, but I wouldn't necessarily say they have, like, loads of fans. It's, like, 
a lot of reality stars are famous because of their haters almost. I mean, if we're thinking a recent example, someone like Tom Sandoval or like, I mean, Vanderpump Rules has been littered with this type of kind of fandom that's really mixed up in hating uh, some or not hating someone, but like disliking someone's actions because they're a real person. So it's interesting that these people are still, you know, sharing their lives. And I think there's almost you know sharing a huge mistake or like something that you've done that's terrible that's like extremely you know going over. i would say that's like going over like above and beyond in the sort of reality world it's interesting like i'd say that's a really key thing that um separates most actors from reality stars in that i mean there's a few actors that are definitely famous because they have haters but that's rarer most actors have a kind of more traditional fan relationship whereas reality stars it's so as you said earlier because they're a real person it's so much more complicated their fame and their um notoriety and also their earning potential is all influenced by quite different um emotions and a different type of relationship absolutely and you know I think people often try to keep reality tv stars in their place by saying you should be grateful like you should be grateful that you're well-known. You should be grateful that you may or may not be popular. You should be grateful that we're talking about you or that you're on this thing. And yet that gratitude doesn't extend to the people who are writing the checks. And I think that's possibly going to be the reset kind of conversation that we may have. The story is obviously going to continue. This again just came out. So I'm really appreciative for your perspective, noting that we had essentially minutes in which (laughs) to read this thing before we started to record. Um, But Louis Staples, listen, there's a lot going on and a lot of different conversations to have about the housewives universe, but holy fucking shit, the gift that the last several weeks have given us with content, with storylines, with people's whose with people whose experiences I truly can't wait to unpack. What has garnered your attention as of late? So with Housewives in particular, because I, I watch Below Deck, I watch Vanderpump Rules, um, but like Housewives will always be, I think, you know, my my core Bravo, you know, all year round. So I always think which one, especially when there's multiple on at the same time, I always think, I notice during the week, like which one I'm thinking about and looking forward to, like, and I'm like, oh, that one's on tomorrow. And it, I'm like, you know, counting down the days until that one is on next. And... I've got to say, the new Roni, new New York, is the one that I am thinking every week, closely followed by OC, I will say, which we're going to get into, I'm sure. But I would love to start with the new 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 York um, because it's just like, yeah, I'm just like eternally, I feel like there's something so exciting about new people and it really does feel like Bravo. I mean, I have to say, shout out Brian Moylan. Um, we were just talking about haters. Our love, our love, our president. He is my president. So he, him and I were speaking about this before months ago. It might have even been for one of my articles, actually. I can't remember, but we were, we were talking and um, he said, you know, I think we should trust Bravo because, you know, they produced great reality TV for, you know, 15 years, like, well, longer than 15 years, but great housewife shows for 15 years. And, you know, they know what they're doing. So we should trust them and you know I think that he was right and I 
really held on to that. And I really feel like they've done an amazing job of like blending the sort of things that we recognize. I think it was a stroke of genius having a trip to the Hamptons so early on in this season, mm. because that's just like a kind of like ritualistic thing that, I mean, the Berkshires certainly became like that later on, but you know, from the start of that show, it was the Hamptons was like a sort of second, second stage for those women. So I thought it was good having an old school, like all those bitches in a house complaining about <laughs> the hostess and all that stuff. Like, it's just so funny to me. Like I pick up on all these little quirks because I'm not from the US, but like being a quote unquote hostess seems to just be like, it seems to transcend the new and old New York, like the, the importance of being a good hostess. It seems to be like to a New York woman, that's like a really big deal. Like, so, and it's almost like they test the host. If they, they really want to haze the host and antagonize her. Um, so I thought it was really interesting seeing those women, you know, complaining constantly it, um it was very like Ramona singer coded the behavior that I was witnessing <laughs> it was like just like the most ungrateful behavior ever like she had thousands of dollars worth of caviar like pro- professionally prepared for those women and they came in and were like I'm starving I'm, com- I'm like driving to other places to get food and like I just thought it was completely hilarious um and yeah, I just think that there's such an interesting mix of those women. Like, I feel like there's just so much that I still, well, obviously, because there is just like so much to get to know in all of them. Um, and I feel kind of connected to them as a group, despite the fact that it's only been three episodes, which I think is just like a really good sign. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. It delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Living in New York City is not easy. Just ask Sonia, trying to sell that house. There are so many mornings where I wake up and think, oh my gosh, I'm having the worst cold of my life. And I realize it's actually from allergies. When my nasal allergies flare up, and that happens when the season changes and the temps get a little warmer than they normally are, I use Astapro, and I'm amazed at how fast I'm back in the game. And that game is looking for Dorinda on the Upper East Side. Astapro always has my back and nose. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. In the words of Meredith Marks, when it comes to that week, week and a half before my period, I wish I was disengaging. My PMS is off the charts. Truly Uber Eats needs to check in and say, it's about that time, isn't it? I know it is. The cravings are crazy. I want to crawl out of my skin. Now it's easier to manage PMS with Estro Control. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony and Estro Control, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. 
And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. For AGs who are friends of perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause, Happy Mammoth has hormone harmony. It's not just a supplement for women going through those stages. It's also become a phenomenon. Women can't stop talking about it on social media. A bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code ANDESGIRLS at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code ANDESGIRLS for 15% off today. I'm engaging. Conversations around wellness and weight loss can be complicated. There's the Instagram filter we all see on IG and social media, and then IRL. And between $20 smoothies and daily ice baths, everyone is doing the most to hack the health system. But there's a better way. Row. Row provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. And you can sign up from the comfort of your own home. No scheduling a doctor's appointment, commute to the doctor's office, and no waiting rooms. The Row Body Program pairs a weekly shot with healthy lifestyle changes, so you can lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Of course, medication must be paired with diet and exercise modifications in order to achieve any stated results. Medication cost is not included in the program. Patients must pay for medication separately. With Roe, average weight loss is 15 to 20% in one year with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roco slash andesgirls. You can sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash andesgirls. Sign up today. I just came back from the salon, and for the record, I went with a sassy little bob and quiet luxury shade of blonde. Yes, that's literally what we're calling it, quiet luxury. Aside from trips to the salon, I don't actually blow out my hair. My hair is naturally wavy, and that's why I love Way. Way's new anti-frizz cream is a lightweight cream that provides immediate frizz control that lasts for up to 72 hours. I know that I have a limited amount of time (laughs) with wet, wavy hair in which to get myself in order. And that is why I love the anti-frizz cream. It has notes of bergamot, Italian lemon, violet, and more. And it smells unbelievable. Believable. Truly, as someone who is a little bit sensitive to scents, I put this in my hair and I feel great. It also genuinely pairs well with my perfume, which I appreciate. I don't blow out my hair because after years of color processing and attempting to make it straight, I know it looks better and stays healthier when I avoid blow drying, which is why I love the anti-frizz cream. I've used products, especially with wavy hair, where it feels heavy and looks kind of wet. And that's why I love Waze Anti-Frizz Cream because it enhances the natural waves in my hair. I still look like me 
just a little elevated. And P.S. I am way obsessed with Way's other bestsellers. Their leave-in conditioner, detox shampoo, my personal favorite. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T H E O U A I dot com and enter promo code Andy for fifteen percent off any product. That's T H E O U A I dot com with promo code Andy. What was your thinking going into the premiere? Were you, um, like myself, someone who was sort of cagey about whether or not I really thought this was going to work? Or were you very optimistic? Or were you like, let's just try this and maybe I'm going to, you know, tap out? And guys, just so you know, there might be some uh, little audio adjustments. We're having some tech right now. So if the audio changes throughout, just think to yourself, chic say la vie the tech, the tech. Um, so Louis Staples, um, what's your, what was your initial thinking going into New York and how has that potentially changed and evolved? So I was certainly on the fence, um, with the New York, New York. I really was going to miss the old girls. Um, but it was at such a low, I was kind of a little bit resentful of Bravo in a way, because I sort of felt like the whole thing was a bit of an overreaction. Um, you know, it was a controversial last season. It was also a COVID season. And let's be honest, none of the seasons that were filmed during COVID across all the shows were good. They were all, or even in the aftermath, they were all claustrophobic and, you know, all these kind of like very artificial settings that they had to film in. And it just didn't feel like the show that we knew. I sort of think that they probably could have not done it and just you know made some casting changes and the show would have been fine but then equally maybe this is like an investment in the show's future like if you will look back at when they got rid of a lot of the housewives before and you know they didn't do an entire recast but they did you know reboot the show in season five and i think that there was so much longevity that came from that that was also a very controversial decision at the time and it was a brave decision So I think Bravo was definitely brave doing this. Um, And like, you know, I will say the ratings have not been great. So I don't know if that, I don't know what that speaks to or whether people are maybe watching the show in a different way. Um, But I definitely was on the fence. I wasn't sure what to expect. And I was sort of excited, more excited for the Scary Island Ultimate Girls trip, if I'm being honest. (laughs) But I've been really pleasantly surprised. As I said, I think that, I, I feel like I care about the women already. Um, I feel like they've been sharing a lot. I really like that there's no glam squads. I feel like this must be a conscious decision that Bravo have made to, you know, I'm actually sure one thing I would love to know is if there are glam squads in that Hamptons house that they're just not showing us or whether there's no glam. Like, it, are they all getting their glam done and they're just not showing it? Or is there really not the glam squad vibe on this show. That's what I'm interested in. It's a good question. I don't think anybody looks like they came from glam. And I mean that in the nicest, most fabulous way. They look like beautiful women who didn't. Like they look amazing, but like kind of, you know, put together themselves almost, which I feel like is, has always been the vibe of New York. Um, I still love, you know, how they were really overdressed for their Sag Harbor dinner I thought that was quite hilarious and also dressed like exactly the same um, <laughs> I love Jenna Lyons's closet I'm obsessed with Jenna Lyons's closet and her little pillows that have boobs on them um 
I just feel like she's a really fascinating character. Like, who would you say is your standout housewife on out of the new, you know, who's the one that you feel most drawn towards? I do have to say probably Jenna, but maybe because she is sort of being seen as the anti-housewife, which for viewers and many content creators has come as a little bit of a relief of like, oh, now we're just, we are now in a position where we can constantly change and evolve the idea of what it means to be a star on this show, which I think to her cast members feels like a threat. Like she's, she is threatening the universe of escapism and of the bubble by the way that she is interacting with us. And we are concerned about potentially her, I mean, again, tapping out. Like that's that seems to be a little bit behind some of their frustration and reaction to her, like, God forbid, seeking heat one late night. Um, I, I don't know. It's It's a really good question. I find myself really curious about Jessel, not necessarily connected to her, but like, empathetic for her noting that I just rewatched for the fifth time her reaction to the slip and she really was like this is the fucking worst thing I've ever seen in my entire life to paraphrase um you know but there are other elements of her in play as as a British person I feel like I can speak to her a little bit obviously you know I'm sure she comes from a very different background to me but like I saw in that that she felt sort of self-conscious about how she looked. So she was kind of like making fun of the whole thing, you know, like to be kind of like self-deprecating. I, to sort of glide over that a little bit, I felt like she was like, oh my God, these cameras are seeing me dressed like this. I'm getting the vibe that she maybe doesn't feel that great about herself after, you know, having the kids and stuff like that. And, you know, she's new to to TV, I got I sort of got the sense that, you know, watching these kind of like models and influencers parading around this place and they're kind of like, let's be honest, a little bit more fitting, <laughs> a little bit more flattering as well outfits that maybe she just felt bad. So she was like, you know, kind of hamming it up a little bit. Um, I thought that it was like, she has that amazing, I'm going to say again, Ramona Singer coded quality of just like not understanding when you're being rude, which is just like a very captivating thing to watch on television, I think. Like the funniest thing was when she said something like, maybe she went and stayed at hers because it has an ocean view and you don't have ocean views. <laughs> which I was just like dying, like sitting in someone's home and saying to them like, oh, maybe she left because she doesn't have an ocean, like she has an ocean view and you don't. Like, I just thought that was so hilarious. And like how they were all complaining about it being cold. Like, like it was like, Sai was like, she hasn't fed us in hours. Like when they the restaurant, I just thought it was like so funny. And then at the end they went, thank you to the hostess with the mostest as if they had all been like systemically trashing every single element of her hosting the whole time. It was like completely classic housewives, like that difference between the confessional and to the present space. Um, I'm definitely drawn to, uh, yeah, Jessel in a way that I'm sort of fascinated by her. Yeah. I, I had a real shift from episode one to two with her, where from episode one, I was kind of like, oh, you know, I've kind of come across a lot of these British girls that run off to New York to be edgy because they're, you know, basically. <laughs> and that's what I was like, this is, she's got that all over her, like couldn't get a job in fashion in London. So I went to New York because she's rich. Um, which I still kind of think is probably true, but I was like, oh God, here we go. 
but actually, you know, when she started sharing, I think there's a really interesting thing about like sharing at the moment. I'm seeing, I don't know if you see, I know that you're not on Twitter, but um, there's kind of like, you know, this kind of stan language that gets attributed to Housewives now where people sort of like post these tweets like vouching for their fave and they're like kind of listing off all their good qualities like, and what I see in these types of tweets often is like there's a real emphasis on sharing. So people saying like, she shared this, she opened up about this as like a, a pro for their fave type of thing. And I think that speaks to such an interesting awareness among fans that now that we're so deep into this, there's whole parts of these people's lives that, you know, they don't share and that the longer people are in shows, sometimes, you know, they share even less, um, which I definitely think is true because um, they just have more power and more agency to share less. So I think for me on that vein, I like that she's kind of been someone who's been sharing the most. And I think if you think even, you know, Jenna has shared a lot about her personal story. And I think definitely seeing people that are newer to reality TV, I think that we're probably going to see quite a lot of, you know, a deeper level of sharing than we would maybe be accustomed to from housewives that have been on the show for so long, because what I do think tends to happen is like it gets less and less like that as people have been on TV for longer. So I think that's kind of what's refreshing about these new women. Um, yeah. And the Jessel example is interesting when comparing her to Ramona. I would argue that I don't know that I see the similarities that you see because the Ramona element, well, Jessel does seem to be unaware of how maybe her responses affect others or less interested in thinking about that when she opens her mouth to speak, which again, makes her a great addition to the Housewives universe. I think Ramona was sharp in a way that did seem loaded and punitive. Like Ramona was aware that she was hurting people. That was sort of the point. She then was forced to acknowledge that maybe that did in fact hurt someone's feelings, which was typically her intent, you know, to be defensive meant adding a different kind of like. All sincerity. Yeah. And all, I mean, truly the new beginning, the apologizer, the Ramona coaster. I don't know that I would put Jessel in that same category, but I do understand from the perspective of unawareness and also, if like sharing is caring when it comes to, you know, you made me feel a certain way, I would be curious for how the rest of the cast is looking at their behavior on these episodes. Because it's not just Jessel saying some shit about feeling like she's a Christmas tree or making fun of Jenna's house or really essentially saying Jenna doesn't like Aaron's house because Jenna's house is probably incredible. I think there is also the question of like, how is the rest of the cast viewing their behavior in conversation with Jessel? Because you're saying, and by you, I mean like the cast is saying Jessel's unaware, but it's like, okay, flip side of that, other side of the coin is like, there's another level of unawareness and maybe not being able to acknowledge some vulnerability behind her talking about whether or not she's fucked her man. I mean... You know, we're cutting to the chase here on both sides. Totally. And I think that there's just like such an interesting like hierarchy in this group that's so unclear right now because it's so new. But I think we're seeing quite early on 
you know, Jenna's status is this, she's kind of this like enigma and like, you know, a bit more withdrawn. And you said earlier that I think that's kind of like threatening to the other women. So I think it's given her this kind of status within the group already in the early stages. You know, she got given the best room at Erin's and then she left and that was a big deal. But I think we're starting to see that being challenged a little bit, even quite early on. I thought it was fascinating the way Erin has this vibe to me of like a girl that just wants to be accepted by like the cool girls the whole time. Like, you know, the whole like she recommends the social faux pas of her wanting to hang out at like the mystery terrible restaurant. And then, you know, I thought like, you know, the caviar thing at the house was so like, accept me, you fancy bitches. Like I can be (laughs) fancy too. And then it was just kind of like the whole weekend was them kind of just like rejecting all her attempts to like make them think that she was like, part of their fancy chic group and then the second she kind of got an opportunity to be accepted by them the trade-off to that was kind of like throwing Jenna under the bus a bit and like I just don't possibly believe that she was actually that upset about her leaving but I think that she sensed an opportunity to you know finally get the acceptance that she was looking for and then they all had that little powwow around the kitchen table and it was like a totally different woman it was like she was not so insecure anymore and she was just like you know finally one of the cool girls and she'd thrown her you know one time good friend a little bit under the bus so I thought that was like a really fascinating little change in her I do think that the tail end of the episode did show um Erin taking a couple steps back from how she behaved earlier but I do think she meant it like I do think she was annoyed and insulted and did not give a shit about the fact that her guests were uncomfortable because there was no heat she was like there might be no heat but it's in my house it's in my house which is a nice house it is a fancy house and if you don't have heat I don't care as much about that as you staying in the house because part of being a guest is to take it and like especially when you're doing so on camera do not minimize my house this early on because that's getting to the heart of who I who I am minimizing her house was like all they did like I don't I really feel like I didn't hear one compliment like (laughs) I just heard like it's cold uh there isn't enough space there's not enough food like it was just like I thought the the shakshuka thing was funny and it was quite endearing to me the way Jenna had that like what seemed like a bit of a pre-prepared line in her confessional about like shak vomiting and I was like shak puka was right there (laughs) (laughs) I was like come on I was like come on Jenna be a writer girl my god Carol Radzivill would have said Shaq Puka. That's what I know. (laughs) I know that. What did you think about the conversation about like wealth at the fire pit, which I thought was specifically very interesting because as a British person, right? So we're so fucked up about the way we talk about money. So like someone would never say here, I grew up poor, quote unquote. They would say like, I'm from like a working class background or they'd like allude to it. Like I'm from a small village. I'm from an ex mining town or something like that. Like they would say, you know, I'm from like something like that. They would never say quote unquote, I grew up poor. And then rich people here would never say that they're rich. Like even like I've met some like ridiculously rich people and they're all like, I'm not rich. My parents are rich. And like, it's like, you would never describe yourself as rich, which I thought that. So I thought that that kind of like, 
dichotomy between like growing up poor and then like size kind of like now she's made it was just like such an interesting and how Bryn was sort of bonding with her in that moment I just thought that that was such an interesting like view into like U.S. culture in a way of like you sort of it's like started from the bottom now we're here type situation and I guess that feeds into the whole like American dream right like I guess reality TV in some ways still selling that in a way that type of dream of like you know you can grow up rough and make it on Real Housewives in New York City and you can be famous so I thought that was like a really interesting kind of moment um at the fire pit. I really appreciated certainly all of that conversation but especially the beginning of it when Aaron and I think Jenna were joking about how much they enjoy sort of coupon cosplay and going to a 99 cent store dollar store whatever it was and how fun it is to like look at things and get them for cheap and Sai saying actually from the perspective of someone who didn't have a choice who wasn't choosing to go there for potentially necessities certainly for Christmas as she says as she said it wasn't as fun and adorable as the way that you may have experienced it but going back to what you said about like the difference in British culture when it comes to discussing money what's the difference there you think in the ways that someone might talk about um potentially a working class background and the difference with New York between money and status. Yeah, so I think it's really about class here. Whereas like in America, well, I suppose this is so true. This is probably true in areas like New York where there's a kind of like elite social scene, right? Um, and places like Washington, I'm sure, I'm sure that there's a lot of places where there's that type of class dynamic. But um, here it's like, you know, I get the sense from watching US reality TV. So this is maybe not even true, but that, you know, you can sort of be a rich person in America and once you're rich, you're kind of rich. Whereas like here, it's like you can be rich, but you can still be like completely rejected from like upper class social circles or like spaces like that. Like I feel like in America, from what I've learned from reality TV, although this may not be true, it's like you can be rich enough to buy your way into most places. Whereas in this country, it's not quite the same. And I feel like people are probably more likely to discuss themselves in terms of what class background they are, like they're middle class. Like middle class here means something different to what it means in America. I'd say it probably is more, the American middle class is probably more equivalent to our working class. Like middle class here means kind of like liberal and like a bit like bougie gentrifier. <laughs> like, it, like Shots fired, by the way, on behalf of Americans. That's fired. As someone who is middle class, that's kind of how we're described in the like in the you know the right wing press here. It's like middle class university types, that type of thing. So it's not like how I hear you know someone like Joe Biden would refer to the middle class in kind of a different way in America. But so there's like middle class, and then people would probably describe themselves as working class, um, and then I guess you've got more upper class people. But I mean, it, people wouldn't really describe themselves as upper class. I mean, the UK is just so fucked up about the way we talk about money. It's like the most undiscussed but on display thing ever. Whereas I feel like Americans tend to be more open about about money. But I would say, yeah, that's like definitely a difference is that I feel like from what I've seen in America, it's like once you're rich, it does give you a certain sort of status and way of getting into most places. Whereas I would say here, our sort of systems are a lot more um 
shrouded in sort of class and nepotism and uh, stuff like that, which I'm sure does happen in the US, don't get me wrong. But like, it's just, I'd say a lot more. I mean, our prime ministers are like all from the same high school. <laughs> it's just like, it's ridiculous. Well, there is also the the tension here in the States between uh, the tension inherent in trying to access sort of waspy blue blood mm. culture, which we've yeah. seen in past seasons with Jill dragging Ramona for trying to be something that she's maybe not with the rest of the cast dragging Ramona when she had, you know, a big birthday celebration, but didn't invite anyone else in the cast ostensibly because um, she didn't want to <laughs> essentially sort of be seen, I think, with people who weren't a part of that group, even though Sonia quite literally was from her through her prior marriage um and she was there was a countess and there was a countess at a hundred percent a countess who did not want drivers to refer to her as anything but Mrs. De La Seps I mean the performance or need to separate oneself when identifying as a certain class or expecting other people to identify you as that is interesting in Housewives, especially for shows that are like ostensibly supposed to be about women, like connecting with each other, understanding or not. And yet there is that separation on, on some franchises more than other. I would put New York and Beverly Hills um, in that kind of sphere of potentially being more focused on wealth as a positive identifier. I mean, look at how Diana was treated for being a garbage monster versus, you know, let's say, for example, Orange County and Jersey. No, for sure. I think the whole coupon conversation, like just going back to that was so interesting because honestly, like I'm kind of that person that would have said that in the past, like how I love, because I do love going to, you know, here they're called Poundlands, but I love that type of thing. I love all those shops that sell all that stuff for like cheap. But like, honestly, like after watching that, I, I'm probably going to think again about like being so glad, like loud about that, because I'd never really thought about it like that before, like how that could possibly make someone feel in that situation. That wasn't really something that had crossed my mind, I'm ashamed to say, um, which I think is just like a great thing about reality TV in a, in a way when you can learn stuff like that from watching it. And I think the women in that scene, certainly in filming it and absolutely as a result of watching that episode, I my guess is understood and like took the note. You know what I'm saying? And there is the possibility for the audience to do that as well. There's often the possibility for the audience to do that when the cast does not. But it does also feel like for whatever, you know, fancy pants style vibe that we may get in New York and God bless that there is also a groundedness where it's like okay Sai is speaking we are listening to Sai and we're maybe reflecting on that like I do think while Jessel talking about her sex life with her husband being representative of things that Uba understood but maybe other people in the moment did not I do think that the approach that that conversation took and also the connection, as you said, between Bryn and Sai in discussing their childhoods 
was um, informative and not just for us. I do want to shift gears a little bit because while New York is your passion project, as you said, Orange County is not far behind. And I would love to get your reaction to the current dynamics between, let's start with Jen and Tamra, because this episode, that fucking triple date situation was honestly incredible. And I do just have to shout out my queen, Shan, for awkwardly laughing after Ryan entered in that fakakta, as my people call it, jacket institute, whatever, however you would look, lifestyle choice, you know, just the shakiness of that design, phenomenal. And at one point she just like awkwardly, he's like saying something to her and she's like, huh, and I just, while she's standing in the kitchen. It was when he's like, he was like, you're in blue too. And then she kind of like, I think honestly pretended not to hear him the first time. And then he said it again. So then she (laughs) had to react and she just goes, uh, like it was like <laughs> so uncomfortable like and she kind of like does this weird like swivel thing where she almost is like looking for an escape and then realizes they're in this like confined space so she's gonna like have to speak to him it was like a profoundly awkward like I don't know like whether they hand it up in the editing somehow but it was like like there was so many I mean there was a lot of like glances that I was like are they glancing <laughs> each other but like it was just extremely like really uncomfortable I was on the verge of pausing it as I was watching it a few times which is what I sometimes do when I'm really uncomfortable when I'm watching reality TV just like taking a breather um wait taking a breather because it was too awkward for you I watched it so many times I just need like a minute to just like oh my god I was the rest, and then I'll watch the rest of it but it's like I basically feel like I'm fascinated by it. so I just want to say as a caveat to what I'm about to say I love Tamara I'm so glad that she's back on the show. Agree. First OC. OC was the first show that I started watching the Housewives show. And I've honestly watched it since really like so long ago. So like when she first joined the show. So really she I've like grown up in my Housewives fandom with her. And I think she's a phenomenal reality star. But I mean, she's just like, you have to do a deal with the devil when you watch this woman. Because it's like, <laughs> I have to, I stand her but I've created like an invisible contract between me and her where it's like, I'm standing you, but I know that your behavior is just like completely awful. Like, I think that there's definitely something to be said. And I think it was Gina or, or Emily, maybe both of them that said that Heather is scared of Tamara. And I think that the whole cast are kind of scared of her. Even the ones that are like, I'm not scared of her. I'm like, you're scared of her. Spoken like someone who is scared of her, but um, (laughs) you know, I would be scared of her as well, but I think there's something really interesting about what's clearly happened to me is Tamara has really flogged this gen thing, you know, as it's got it, she's got it. Yeah. To death. And really she's smart enough to know that like, unless Ryan does something else, there's nothing really to be said here. I mean, it already was starting to feel a little bit like Groundhog Day with our like what third or something, Jen and Tamara meet up to discuss all the same stuff. It was starting to feel a bit like I'm getting a little bit sick of this now. Although as you say, thank goodness for the awkward boat ride. But it was a fitting end to that storyline. And I think Tamara is, you know, this ain't her first rodeo. She's smart enough to know that we're going to have to have another story. Like, we're on episode nine, so there's this filming to be done. And I think she's really like, okay, so 
also she's probably thinking I'm in danger of coming off bad in this gen thing you know I've really put myself in the thick of it here so I need to you know pass the proverbial bomb to somebody else so really they've got Heather in their sights and it's so interesting to me because in all the years she's been on the show Fancy Pants has never been the one that is in the hot seat she's never been you know she's been hot seat before like how every season there's like a housewife who's like let's be on like it's her time in the tumble dryer you know like I think it was Erica Jane that said something like to that effect at the Beverly Hills reunion after the whole Tom thing she said you know when it's your turn to be in the firing line you know everyone has a turn or something of being like the one that's you know the subject of the most hostility or something or this the most drama and Heather's really not been the one that's kind of the target in the group ever um you know she if I recall Alexis was often the target when she was on it the first time and Gretchen then you know there's the Vicky and Brooks thing but she was sort of always allied with Tamara in the old days I think that she, her and Shannon had a whole situation on Shannon's first season, but that was really more Shannon being in the hot seat that season, as she seems to end up most seasons. But um, uh, Queen Shannon Vador. Um, <laughs> but um, so we've never really had this thing where the sharks are circling for Heather because she's, you know, I think partly because of her money and status, and partly because she's just, you know, very articulate and smart, and she kind of is good at getting her point across. She's never really the one that's kind of in the, you know, the vultures are circling for her. And I'm really sensing that this season that for one reason or another, Tamara coming back to the show has changed the dynamic and she's no longer the sort of alpha of the group. And it seems like the, the vultures are circling a little bit for her. And also how do you try to figure out whether or not Tamara you know, started the path of another person's animus toward Heather. Because it sounds like by the way that the rest of the cast is talking now and the midseason trailer, which dropped this week, that everybody is really fucking mad at Heather. And Shannon went on Watch What Happens with Victoria and said, essentially, you know, Heather, there's stuff that, watch what happens, to be continued, there's stuff that's going to come out about the way that Heather was talking about John and what she was choosing to say on camera versus off, versus off, that to Shannon was an indicator of Heather's dark magic, you know, like that it was a an indicator Here's of- Here's what I don't get. Here's what I don't get. So this is based on what we've seen so far. So- as we know, there's probably 10 episodes or so to go. So yeah. I'm sure what I'm about to say will probably be proven completely wrong by what Love happens. It. Welcome to Andy's Girls. However, to me, what I know so far is Heather got told something by Shannon that I think was also told to Emily by Shannon or something like Shannon had told a few people, but then Heather I think repeated- Shannon, sorry to interrupt, but I think Shannon told Heather and Heather told Emily and or Emily and Gina. Shannon is arguing that she only told one person, Heather. Okay, so Shannon told her off camera. She told other people off camera. Right, fine. I get that that could feel like your confidence being betrayed 100%. I get it, especially if it's something really private. And especially if I feel like the implication might be that Heather was telling them off camera so that it could be brought up on camera. Right. A la Heather's allegations about Shannon last season of you're talking about the plastic surgery, Mishigas, off camera so that I'm talking to you about it off camera so that you will bring it up on. 
Right. So I think that that's the subtext of this conversation. And I think that that's kind of what we have to think about whenever these housewives argue about stuff that was said off camera is like, okay, so this was like a strategy session against me to like bring it up on camera. Fine. However, Tamara, her so-called best friend now again, is the one bringing up on camera and then trying to blame Heather for the fact that she's bringing it up. And I'm like, you also, to me, that scene was so, this is like Tamara's genius. It was so like Vanderpumpian, the way that uh, Vicky was brought in so that she was then a central player in this story who would then have an excuse to reappear whenever it's going to be discussed, which I thought was a stroke of genius for, you know, the world's most desperate person to get back on the show ever to like, you know, she was practically fizzing with glee at the table, like when it was brought up, like she like could barely contain her smiles. And I'm like, this is like your friend who's like in a serious distress. And she was like sitting there, like practically bobbing on her own, like <laughs> just having the time of her life. Like, God bless her. I love her. This is the type of narcissism that just makes her an amazing reality star. But um, <laughs> yeah, so they bring it up on camera and are like literally like, like practically salivating to bring this thing up. To the extent that Shannon has to remove herself from the table so that it doesn't get brought up. So I'm sort of like, why aren't you annoyed at them? Like, if you if you really think that Heather was telling people so that they would bring it up on camera, then what are you doing about the people that are bringing it up on camera? And also bringing it up in a way, like, fair enough, they've not actually said what it is yet. I'm not sure if that's what's going to come out, but bringing it up in a way that's making it seem like this huge smoking gun, like like almost like not saying it is making it seem like such a bigger deal than it maybe even is. Like, I don't know what it is, but not saying it is like almost like adding to the fire in a way. And also Shannon saying this thing is so bad that if it's brought up on camera, my relationship will end. It will be ruined. But also, how dare you say that my relationship isn't doing well? And it's like, sweet, beloved Shan. If there's something so terrible about something having to do with your relationship being discussed openly that will ruin your relationship, but also everything's great, I don't know what that says about you and John. So also my thing is, did she say that or did she just say, just she's claiming not to know, but I'm like, Who is? so Shannon is saying, Shannon knows. That's why the, the second that Tamara gave her eyes, Shannon was like, I know what you're going to say. The question is whether Tamara knows. In the most recent episode, she said, I want to find out exactly what she said first, like before I tell John. So she's pretending then that she doesn't know exactly what it is. I don't think that she's pretending she doesn't know what it is. I think she's trying to figure out what color commentary Heather added to the okay. vulnerability that she shared. She wants to know if Heather's intention in the game of telephone was Heather's intention as potentially duplicitous um, or disloyal as what Tamara is heavily, heavily pushing while also saying, I 100% know Heather's intention was bad. I also have no idea what she said or what was discussed, but I know that Heather was doing it for bad reasons. None of it makes any sense. Yeah, so the relationship's great, but if this terrible thing gets brought up, it will destroy the relationship. Heather also, I have no idea why she brought that up, but also I know that she brought it up to destroy me. It's like, none of it makes any sense. I sort of feel like I mean, it's weird, though. It's that thing of watching a reality show when you know two people have broken up already. It just, like, colors everything you watch, doesn't it? Like, about mm -hmm. on on screen. Because, like, 
we already know as viewers and people that follow Shannon on social media and stuff like that, that they didn't, you know, they did break up. Whether it's got something to do with this thing that's brought up, we don't know yet. But And also, sidebar, that they are seeing each other casually again, which makes everything, I think, a little bit worse. Because we, we didn't learn any lessons. Having screaming arguments at dinner and being escorted, quote-unquote, to find our Uber with... <laughs> with 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 men from the restaurant because we quote unquote didn't have our glasses with us i mean that's the best bit of pr screen i've ever heard but um which is referencing a page six piece that uh came out recently that shannon addressed and watch what happens six reported that shannon um had a screaming argument with john's daughter at a restaurant and that she was seen being kind of escorted out by the people that work there and then her reps i think uh responded to page six saying that she was being escorted to her uber because she couldn't find it because she had forgotten her glasses which i thought was just iconic. an amazing that was iconic. just iconic um i was like i want to see the slack channel where that was brainstormed it's just Love amazing it. um but yes yeah, so shannon also you know it's like she just has this funny thing where it's like she always ends up in the hot seat as we were just discussing like it's like even when the season isn't even about her like she must have been so far this season so glad like there was the whole thing with Tamara at the start but really that was kind of over by like episode two she was very good at like nipping that in the bud Mm -hmm. you know there was the whole you're a liar you're a liar you're a liar and then she kind of like you know got over that and then she must have been thinking like oh this is working out really well finally a season where it's like (laughs) not all not all about me and like like the terrible things in my life or whatever and now, now it's just like bingo the relationship is becoming a central storyline I thought what was quite interesting I noticed such an absence of the whole Heather thing in the mid-season trailer really like there's a bit where Heather says something like everyone I'm sick of being the punching bag or like something like that like which alludes to like people being mad at her um but actually I was kind of expecting more Tamara v Heather in the mid-season because I know that there's a big rift between them at the moment so I was kind of thinking I would see kind of scenes of them kind of you know shouting each other or like you know something like that but I was expecting more of that to be honest but um I was quite intrigued by this Shannon and Emily fight that seems to happen I mean there was a scene where Emily was on the phone screaming at Shannon saying she's two different people like Jekyll and Hyde or something which I think is interesting because I feel like Emily's like really coming to her own this season um as someone who's kind of like had kind of a relationship with her over the years like I've never really like loved her or hated her like she's been kind of a polarizing figure in the fandom her and Gina both but I'm kind of now getting to a point where I really feel like the show kind of wouldn't be the same without her in a weird way even though it's kind of strange to think that because I really never would have saw that coming from for, for myself but I'm also like, I know this isn't going to be a popular opinion. Gina. I'm enjoying Gina this season. I really don't see, I'm seeing a lot of, you know, hate for Gina on my. People hate, G- Gina is extremely polarizing. Part of me thinks it's literally just because she isn't that rich and people just don't understand how she's on this show alongside Heather Dubrow. And maybe that doesn't make a lot of sense, like being fully real. Like maybe she wouldn't really be hanging out with any of these people. And maybe that's like, partly why I do think that some of her storylines feel very like storylines to me like it's very like formulaic some of the scenes I see her in it's like the dinner with Travis 
the kind of soft launch of the real estate and now it's like I don't really care about this real estate thing I know that sounds mean but I'm kind of like you had your skincare thing like last year so it seems a bit like hard to like really commit to this new thing with you but like whatever I guess if you're really happy but like yeah a lot of the scenes she's in I do think my one criticism is that the ones that aren't with the group feel quite like here's me and my ex here's me and Travis it's very kind of like stage managed by her um which is never like the best really but at the same time I do feel like she's sharing like some pretty gnarly stuff like I felt like the fans some of the fans have been quite judgmental about her whole like having issues with her ex's infidelity still I mean in the grand scheme of life it really wasn't like that long ago and um I guess things come for us all at like different times and people were sort of I saw a lot of kind of like she needs to get therapy um kind of on my timeline but then in the next episode she was like I spoke to my therapist about it and stuff so I was like she's kind of like doing that like and being open about it so I sort of felt like it was a weird thing to criticize her for like being so open you know what's also the difference between doing the work and feeling like the work should be done and sometimes doing the work sometimes doing the work is to understand that the work is ongoing maybe it takes a moment to not be in like the sort of center of it and the thick of it like maybe you need to be for some people I guess maybe you need that moment of being in a better place to then then when someone comes along and it triggers you then is the time to deal with that thing you know maybe she was in kind of like survival mode for a time and now she's kind of got this sort of capacity to deal with it yeah and also maybe it's not so much about being in a better place but being in a different place like maybe the place that she's in that's different isn't better when it comes to recovery and healing in the ways that she possibly thought until she heard about or reacted to what she felt was a minimization of betrayal through, you know, having an extramarital affair. And that was by Jen and also in Gina's eyes, the rest of her cast. I really feel like she was also like pretty bold with like kind of going for Heather or not going for Heather, but like, you know, having her feelings towards Heather, the way that Standing Heather- Standing up to Heather and saying, I don't, I don't love that you, you know, just kind of like brush me off. He was really like the kind of first person. Well, actually, I mean, maybe that was technically Taylor Armstrong, but like she was not happy about that and she had her feelings about it and she really saw that through. And I feel like, you know, people were focusing a lot on, I don't know, like, I just feel like, people seem to have it in for her for some reason. Maybe like the social media fandom I'm seeing on Twitter is not representative of the, you know, the viewers at home, but it feels a little bit like there's nothing she could do to make some people like her. And maybe that's just the like part of being a reality star. But I really don't think she's ever done anything that I think is like that reprehensible. I don't know. Like, I just think that some of the, I'm enjoying her. I'm to be honest with you, I'm enjoying all of them. Yeah. It's a great season. Honestly, the cast is great. Jen's a perfect fit. I'm loving it. I think Jen is an amazing newbie. I think it's like incredibly fascinating to watch someone who your entire time watching them, you're thinking, is this person as profoundly stupid as they seem or beneath that freshly Botox forehead? Is there a brain that is actually a mastermind like with her I'm just not sure whether she's actually the smartest person in the room or whether she actually is really stupid 
And she has been warring with Tamara on social of like, we were good friends. We weren't good friends. If you say that, if I say that we're not good friends, it means that anything that I did to you isn't as bad because we didn't have that kind of uh, history between us. And I have to tell you that every time I've like seen or heard of some sort of exchange, I, I really do ping pong. I'm like, oh, Jen's revealing something that makes a lot of sense to me. Oh, Tamara's revealing something that makes a lot of sense to me. And that is the perfect place to be where I just find myself a little befuddled about how close they actually were and how that has an understandable impact in figuring out the stakes of their relationship, friendship, and what Tamara has said about Ryan. And I mean, God bless Ryan and his Etch-A-Sketch jacket, but the man looks like a douche and we can judge a book by its cover regardless of your tagline. He looks like a fucking moron and he looked like he needed a booster seat, not because of his height, but just a sense of like unawareness of the fact that it felt like it was an adult. It was like the adults in the room and then Ryan and we're arguing about whether or not he sent a dick pic to someone that wasn't his girlfriend and also in Jen's confessionals whether or not Heather Amin is saying this stuff because she wanted to fuck Ryan and I just have so many questions about who wants to fuck Ryan I don't understand it it has nothing to do with like him physically I just every part of my being it's like gird your loins every part of my being upon hearing someone say I cheated on every significant other I've ever had and thinking he's the one. I just can't get past it. I, I will say one criticism of this season now that you just said that. I think I could have used if this woman is going to be Heather Amin, by yeah. the way, this woman is going to be a you know, such a key player. I really feel like I could have used like some confessionals from her. A hundred percent agree. A hundred percent agree. She's not in, like, they didn't soft launch her at all. And then, which is fine because I guess they can't predict the future. But I still feel like after she became such a central sort of witness in this, I feel like I could have used more from her. Like, I, like not texts being shown on her behalf. Like, I feel like I could have used more things from her. But I feel like, They've kind of, Taylor seems to have faded away a little bit. I'm looking forward to her coming back because I feel like she has been a really great addition also. I think having an addition of a friend of and a full-time, plus Vicky, I suppose, is going to, well, judging by the mid-season trailer, is going to be making more of a, uh, more appearances in the, so it's almost like sort of two friends of and a full-time. So it's really kind of shaking up. Plus, I guess, Tamara coming back, who's, you know, that's a weird thing when someone who's been on it comes back because they sort of feel new, but they don't really. But I'm loving all of them. Like, I really think that it's been doing so well. I had such a lackluster few seasons. I really wasn't sure whether they were going to ever be able to get it back on track. But it's now kind of got its own identity again as well. Like, you know, all the franchises have their own kind of vibe. And I just feel like theirs was so nondescript for a few years. And now it definitely... I don't know whether it's because they've been doing a lot more stuff on boats, it could be, but like, I just feel like OC now, I really sense the vibe of Orange County as a place, like how it is different to the other places. Whereas I feel like even that was kind of like neither here nor there in recent years. Like I just wasn't really ever sure why these women lived there, what they did there. Like, and I just feel like it's doing such a good job of kind of taking us into that world of Orange County. Um, 
I just can we just have a side note for Heather Dubrow's $12 million apartment. The um her two bedroom. Yeah, which is just like the most hilarious thing I've ever seen as the downsizing to like a palace. Um I feel like she so I actually interviewed her for a piece like a while ago and I was like saying how a friend of mine and have this thing about when she had hexagonal ice in her house oh my god I love I looked for hexagonal ice I looked for hexagonal ice trays on Amazon she said to me that she's devastated that the new place doesn't have hexagonal ice that she's in just now and she was like I miss my ice but um I really really feel like I feel like Heather's maybe going through a little bit of a crisis of confidence at the moment um with this whole new career well new old career like she seems to be really like really hanging that up as a storyline this kind of like which is interesting like (laughs) the concept of like buying a whole apartment and like stuff for this career that you don't even know if you're gonna have it and like I feel like it was interesting to see the editors doing her the dirty a little bit with that edit of her you know the new platform I can't remember what it's called Fireside yeah like so showing all the time she'd mentioned it It was very Kathy Hilton tequila coded um behavior but (laughs) Like, I thought that that was funny. (laughs) But I do feel like she's kind of going through a bit of a crisis of confidence. She's a little bit more vulnerable in the group. She seems like in a more vulnerable place in life, like not financially, obviously, but like in terms of just where she's at and who she is. Um, So I think that the cast are maybe picking up on some of that vulnerability. There is something kind of like, I don't know, I'm detecting like a lingering like sadness from her in the most recent episode. And I don't really know why. Like, I think that there's something sad to me about when someone's like open about kind of trying to get something from their past back it's a little bit like Tinsley Mortimer when she moved to New York and she was like I want to get my old life back and like um Carol was saying something about reinvention and she was like no I wanted to get my old life back and I just don't know if that's ever possible to get your old life back well it's not just about getting your old life back it's feeling like that is the thing you have to do because your present life is no longer available your kids are uh, you know, in a manner of speaking, leaving you. Your role as a caretaker is changing. Now it's like, okay, oh my God, I'm still married to this guy. That's exciting for us to experience each other as empty nesters. But also, you know, your empty nest is 22,000 square feet and we're filming this TV show, but she doesn't want to be identified as that. And what happens when her identity as a quote unquote housewife um is one that she's forced to change by circumstance, by the fact that her kids are growing up. I mean, when you talk about a sadness, which I also can understand, I think there's also a grief that might take place when your kids are leaving for college and they're no longer there or your kids still need you, but in a different way. Like they're, they need you, but they're across the country now. I do think that that journey is interesting and one that I Hopefully, we'll continue to discuss, but Louis Staples, we've got some chatting we need to continue to do, so we're going to pivot to taking it personally for an upcoming app. In the meantime, tell the AGs where they can follow you on social, read your amazing writing, that and so much more. So follow me at Louis Staples. I'm the same on Instagram and Twitter, now known as X, but we're going to continue calling it Twitter for now. Um, Follow me at Louis Staples on both. Love that. Guys, you can follow me on Instagram and 
threads at Dame Galley, an interesting conversation going on on my social for the piece that I posted uh, right before starting to record referencing the um, Rolling Stone reveal. So check that out on Instagram and threads at Dame Galley. Uh, new piece pieces out for the Daily Beast. I will link in the show notes for this app and Listen, so many new episodes up on the AG Patreon, including a one-hour bonus episode with AG's recent guest co-host, Kara Berry of Everyone's Business But Mine. So you can listen to that now and so much more by supporting the Andy's Girls Patreon at patreon.com slash Girls. Louis Staples, a pleasure as always for our little monologuing <laughs> back and forth. We just have a lot to say. We just have a lot to say. We just have a lot to say. Um, On that note, guys, thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to chatting with you soon. Bye-bye.